This podcast is offered by Jikoji Zen Center on the web at jikoji.org. Our programs are made possible by donations from people like you. I'd like to talk about a teaching of the Yogacara tradition in old India, a school of great vehicle, Buddha Dharma. <clears throat> Yogacara means the practice of unity. Yoga means union or unity and charya is practice. And uh, it's, it's a little bit, you know, it's a little bit complex, this Yogacara uh, tradition. So I'll try to do a brief summary of this particular point called the four modes of undivided knowing or the four awarenesses. And, uh, and if it sounds a little complicated, this is just the introduction in Indian style. And then, uh, I think it's beautiful to look at Hakuin Zenji's understanding of this ancient Indian teaching in kind of Zen style. But it might not make that much sense if we don't hear the overview of the original model first. And I think you can, you can, See if you think so as you hear this, but I think this can apply to our actual practice of zazen and life. So this teaching um, in this Yogacara tradition is that there are eight consciousnesses And I think, well, what do you mean? I just have one consciousness, but there's a, you could say our, our one consciousness, if it feels that way, is, can be divided in this model into eight aspects, but they're called eight consciousnesses. And in uh, consciousness and is usually the translation for this term vijnana, vijnana, which means divided knowing, so generally when we use the word, the English word consciousness in the Buddhist tradition, we're talking about a dualistic kind of knowing, a divided knowing, apparently divided into a subject or a knower and an object or the known. And uh, so there's these eight consciousnesses and in this system, they can be sometimes it's said transformed into four types of undivided knowing. So these dualistic consciousnesses um, are exchanged for non-dual awarenesses. And uh, in this tradition, it's, this is called, sometimes called transformation of the basis but um, the word transformation 
is maybe a little bit problematic because it's not really that that these consciousnesses are somehow magically transformed into undivided knowings. It's more like they're revealed to be actually in their true nature, undivided knowing. So consciousness, dualistic or divided knowing, is actually said to be a kind of an illusion. And, and through practice, we can realize that these consciousnesses are actually not, strictly speaking, consciousnesses. They are undivided non-dual knowing in their reality. So the revealed to be non-dual knowing. So it's not really that their consciousnesses are transformed. It's more like they're revealed to be uh, non-dual knowing. So it's like a shift of perspective rather than a transformation. We could, we could say that um, it might sound kind of radical thing to say that these eight consciousnesses that we are operating in our lives all the time are illusions. We don't, strictly speaking, we don't really have consciousness. We do have a kind of knowing, but it's not really divided like this. So um, when we talk about illusions, it's not that illusions are talking about something that doesn't exist. Illusions have a kind of reality to them, but they just don't appear in the way that they really are. That's what we mean by illusion. So like a mirage in the desert is an illusion, right? It appears as if there's water far off in the distance and uh, in this dry desert sand, it really looks like water. But then if we get closer, we see that it's not really water. But even when we see it as water from a distance, that um, illusion of water has a reality to it, right? The, the reality is that it's actually just sand and, and light hitting the sand in a certain way. So it's not that there's nothing there, that, that lake we see in the distance. It's not that there's nothing. It's just, it's not a lake, but there is something there, which is sand and light and so on. That's what we mean by illusion. So if these eight consciousnesses are illusions, it's not that there's nothing there at all. It's just that what there really is, when we get closer, we can see that what there really is, is this undivided knowing. Jnanas, so the vijnanas are illusions. And when we get closer, we see that they're actually jnanas. Jnana just means knowing, and vijnana means divided or dualistic knowing, which we usually call consciousness. So, um, how does this, how do the, this is transformation or this revelation or um, this shift of perspective happen in the system? Um, 
each of the eight consciousnesses is revealed to be a kind of different types of, of uh, undivided knowing. So starting with the eighth, the eighth consciousness in this Indian Buddhist system is called the storehouse consciousness, the alaya vijnana. The storehouse consciousness, briefly we could say, it's like the unconscious. It's like all our unconscious processes, um, a collection of all our memories in their kind of latent form, a, a collection of all our you know, habitual patterns in their kind of latent unconscious form, but that come to the surface, come into conscious experience when certain conditions come together. So something happens and it triggers us, right? And then somebody standing next to us is not triggered by the same situation. So we could explain that by the teaching of this storehouse consciousness that, that I have these particular karmic tendencies, these, these patterns and these personality that are just latently resting in this unconscious and then a certain situation tri triggers them, they come to the surface. And since each of us has a different storehouse consciousness, some get triggered by some things and some get triggered by others. <clears throat> so this storehouse consciousness is registering every experience we ever have and it's giving rise also to every experience we ever have. And it's giving rise to the other seven consciousnesses in this model. And it's kind of problematic because it's all our like, it's storing all our, all our um, triggerable habits. So in this system, it can be revealed as what's called the perfect mirror undivided knowing. We also sometimes translate these as wisdoms. Wisdom is another name in this case for undivided knowing, jnana. So the storehouse consciousness is an illusion that can, that can be revealed to be the great, the perfect mirror knowing. And what is this great perfect mirror knowing? It's wonderfully um, described by its name. It's like a perfect mirror that uh, just reflects anything that uh, comes to it. It just receives any image and um, it receives every image graciously. We might even say it gives rise to every image graciously without any judgment or um, um, discrimination. It's just pure, pure knowing, like a mirror, pure luminous reflectivity with no sense of subject and object. So that's, the, that's you could say, the true nature of the storehouse consciousness. 
that can be realized. So moving along down the list of these eight consciousnesses, the seventh is called the uh, afflicted mind in Sanskrit, the klishtamanas. It's klishified, it's, um, it's distorted by the sense of being an independent, separate self. Maybe briefly, we could just say, really the definition of this seventh consciousness is the illusory sense of being an individual separate self. Or we could say, identifying with this particular body and mind experience as being me. That is the seventh consciousness. Obviously it's, it's dualistic, it's divided into self and other, but that it's an illusion, luckily. What a relief that this sense of the independent self is an illusory appearance. And it can be revealed to be what's called the equality knowing, the undivided knowing. It's called equality awareness, equality jnana. And this um, equality knowing is emphasizing equality of self and other. So there's no grasping or rejecting um, other because self and other are one suchness in this awareness. Naturally, compassion comes forth from this type of equality knowing. Uh, also, I, I didn't mention that part of the system, Yogacara is kind of a complex system, just to like match up even more lists. When the storehouse consciousness, the eighth consciousness is revealed to be the great perfect mirror knowing that is also called the realization of Dharmakaya, the reality body of Buddha. And when this seventh consciousness, the afflicted mind, the sense of the independent separate self is revealed to be equality knowing, that is the realization of what we call the Sambhogakaya, the enjoyment body of Buddha the enjoyment of the Dharma, that we are all equal. Moving down the list to the sixth consciousness, that's just called um, mental consciousness or conceptual consciousness. That's like our conceptual mind that includes thinking, it also includes perceiving, um, ideas and uh, I perceive, like I perceive all of you are people with names appearing on the screen. So that, um, that perception is this, uh, is this sixth consciousness. And um, it's also divided. It seems to be divided into a subject and object. 
it feels as if I'm over here, I'm a mind perceiving you all over there on the screen. It seems and feels that way, but it said that this is an illusion and this sixth consciousness can be uh, revealed to be in its reality, discriminating undivided knowing, discriminating non-dual awareness. One might say, wait a second, if it's non-dual awareness, how can it be discriminating? So that's part of the beauty of this tradition is that there can be an undivided knowing it's really not divided into subject and object. They can still make distinctions. Again, luckily, otherwise a Buddha wouldn't know um, how to put food into his mouth. And he wouldn't know how to greet his fellow monks and say, good morning. And he wouldn't be able to function basically without discriminating. So it's kind of like, the mirror where all these, where all these images are um, appearing equally with no grasping, the mirror can still um, discern that here's an image of uh, this person and here's an image of that person and it can tell the difference between them while knowing at the same time that their true nature is just this one mirror. So, this is emphasizing there's, there is this discriminating or discerning, differentiating function of non-dual awareness. It is a type of non-dual awareness that can make distinctions. And, and when the sixth consciousness, conceptual consciousness is revealed to be discriminating non-dual awareness, that is the realization of also realization, part of the realization of the um, enjoyment body of the Buddha. And then, so that's eight, seven, and six. Now consciousness is one, two, three, four, five are the five sense consciousnesses. The eye, ear, nose, tongue, body consciousness. You could say that the seeing consciousness, the hearing consciousness, the smelling, tasting, touching consciousnesses, which directly perceive their objects. The eye consciousness directly perceives color. The ear consciousness directly perceives sound without any um, conceptual elaboration. Or we might say, well, isn't that already non-duality? It's like a direct perception. But according to this tradition, it says, no, it's, they're still called vijnanas, they're still called consciousnesses. Because even in this direct perception, there's still a subtle sense of, there's an eye faculty over here, seeing a color over there. It doesn't seem like they're the same thing, even in direct perception. There's, a, there's an ear consciousness hearing a sound and it still seems to be somewhat divided and that the, that the sound seems to be slightly separate from the hearing of it in our normal sense consciousnesses. So they also need to be 
so-called transformed or, or uh, these are the five sense consciousnesses are illusions in the system and they are, can be revealed to be in their true nature, what's called the all-accomplishing undivided knowing. Realizing the nirmanakaya, which is the transformation body of Buddha. The, the Buddha, that, the body of the Buddha that functions in the world. So even with our illusory divided five senses, that is the way we function with the world. That is where we interact with the world through our five physical senses. Uh, so um, when they are revealed to be this all accomplishing knowing, that is the way that awakened ones can function in the world without duality of eye and color and ear and sound and so on, but still um, make the distinctions and still um, can relate to apparent uh, colors and sounds and so on, but not as separate from their own awareness. So this is a big topic, and that's a very brief overview of how the eight consciousnesses, the eight divided knowings, are revealed to be in the shift of perspective. Actually, these four types of non-dual awareness, undivided knowing, and thereby manifesting these three Buddha bodies. So I wonder it would be kind of um, complex. <laughs> you might not have followed all of that, but you might get the general gist. Even if you didn't follow all, I think it'll still be rewarding to um, now look at the Zen version of this. Hakuin Zenji is considered the founder of all modern uh, contemporary lineages of Rinzai Zen in Japan. He lived in Japan in the, in the uh, 1700s. And as far as I know, he's the only Zen teacher that, that uh, comments on this kind of complex Yogacara system of eight consciousnesses uh, revealed as four wisdoms uh, manifesting three Buddha bodies. And these other people don't like to get that complicated. And it's a little bit surprising because Hakuin Zenji is a kind of an uncomplicated Zen teacher. He's really into Zen koans, but um, he left us with this beautiful teaching. And I think it's a wonderful teaching actually. He's got one kind of essay on this topic called like the four undivided knowings, four modes of knowing, uh, four modes of non-dual awareness. And another essay on the so-called five ranks of Soto Zen that also he correlates with the eight consciousnesses and the four wisdoms and the three Buddha bodies. So 
we won't get into these five ranks today, but these are these two essays that, that line up very nicely. They're, they don't contradict each other in what Hakuin is saying. So I think he's really basing his, uh, his explanation on his own experience. And it's maybe some strict Yogacara people might say that um, well, Hakuin's version of this, that it sounds a little bit like, um, I don't know, a little bit simplified compared to the Yogacara version. After all, Yogacara sometimes says that the definition of a Buddha, the definition of a fully awakened Buddha is these four undivided knowings. Functioning unceasingly, uninterruptedly. That would be one way of talking about what a Buddha is. And uh, that's a very exalted claim to uh, imagine that uh, one could realize this Buddhahood in this kind of kind of simplified way, sounds like according to Hakuin. So here's how Hakuin talks about the first, the eighth consciousness, the storehouse consciousness being revealed as the great perfect mirror wisdom. He actually gives kind of like practices. You could say they're descriptions, they're realizations, but they're practices. After all, we, we say in our tradition that practice and realization are not two. So here's how Hakuin puts it. With great intention, trust, I think he means trust in these teachings, determination, or resolve, with great intention, trust, and determination, constantly ask yourself, Quote, who is the host of seeing and hearing? Unquote. This is Hakuin's practice instruction for realizing great perfect mirror wisdom. With great intention, trust, and determination. We could say in Zazen, sitting on a cushion and outside of Zazen, walking around the world constantly as much as possible. Continuously ask yourself, who is the host of seeing and hearing? What an awesome question, I say. After this, after this, he, he um, it simplifies it by saying, 
what hears. It's a, it's a two-word version of it. What hears. What is the host? Who or what is the host of all our seeing and hearing? And I think what he means also is our tasting and smelling and touching. All, the, all experiences we have through the five senses and through all, um, any, any type of experience we can possibly have. Who or what is the host of them? In Zen, they sometimes talk about the host and the guest. So guests are all these temporary visitors of um, sights and sounds and smells and tastes and sensations. Who is hosting all these guests that are coming and going? The guests come and go, but the host just uh, abides at home and um, graciously welcomes the guests. Who is this host? What is this host? Who is hosting every experience? Constantly ask ourselves this question. Who hears, who sees? And uh, just keep asking, Hakuin says, and he goes on to say, eventually you will feel like you are entering a crystal world. I am, um, I'm imagining that what he means by a crystal world is that it's like the world starts to become kind of transparent, like glass. He says, inside and outside, floors and ceilings, fields and mountains, people and animals, all seem like illusions or dreams. As you continue to ask this, who is the host over and over? Turning the light around uh, away from just getting all involved with floors and ceilings and animals and people and mountains and rivers, uh, turning the light of awareness back and asking who's hosting all of this stuff. And then as we keep asking this, all this stuff, so it's this seem like a crystal world, uh, as Hakuin says, like illusions or dreams. He says, this inconceivable realm seems to exist, yet also seems to not exist. It's not like we stop seeing and hearing things, but um, it becomes maybe a little more dreamlike. You see all these guests are, um, are, just, uh, are just experiences. All the things that we're kind of grasping is real. There's, everything is just an experience. And, uh, and then our job is to ask, what is hosting all of this experience? We're not getting involved in the experience. We're uh, trying to find the host 
And of course, we're not going to find the host as some another experience. Because if we did, then we would have to ask, who's the host of that experience? The host will not be another experience. And yet, who is this host? What is this host? And uh, Hawkeling goes on to say, this state, this realm, this crystal world, don't grasp this realm, but uh, arouse an even deeper resolve to keep asking who is the host. So don't get distracted by how crystalline everything is appearing, because then we will forget to ask who the host is. Sometimes, Hakuin says, you will forget your body while you're sitting, and you'll forget the world. I think we maybe, as Zazen practitioners, all have experience where sometimes we're sitting so deeply, we're not involved in all our conceptual experiences. And it's, and the bell rings, and we suddenly, oh, I'm sitting in the Zendo. We're so present that we forgot where we even are. Hakuin says, practicing this way, sometimes it's like that. And suddenly, instantly, now, Buddha nature will appear all at once. This is the great perfect mirror, undivided knowing, perfect mirror awareness. Nothing is lacking, nothing is extra. And in Hakuin's other essay on this topic, he says, at this time, the light of the great perfect mirror knowing is dark black. I think he's just saying that um, like no things are appearing. We're, there is just the host. There's no, um, that we're so absorbed in the host that the guests are just kind of like out in the hallway. He says, this is the empty sky disappearing and mountains crumbling, not an inch of earth to stand on. No samsara, no nirvana, no delusion or enlightenment, like a boundless sky without a cloud. This is the description of the, the revelation of the great perfect mirror wisdom. Uh, when the illusion of this storehouse of unconscious sticky patterns is revealed to be like a pure, boundless, ungraspable, shining mirror. Uh, Hawkeye says, it sounds good, right? I mean, not too bad. <laughs> but Hawkeye says, but as soon as you, you know, arise from the Christian, try to meet the world 
you're totally helpless and lost. That's why it's not the end of the story. The next, uh, the next piece is the seventh consciousness. Remember the, uh, the sense of being a separate individual self is revealed to be this equality awareness, equality knowing. And uh, manifesting the enjoyment body of the Buddha. So here's Hakuin Zenji's description of this second type of knowing and second type of transformation, revelation. Hakuin says, once you have seen the ox, make ox herding your only concern. Zen talk, right? The, the ox is uh, often a metaphor for Buddha nature, the perfect mirror. But uh, it's not about just seeing the ox. It's um, we start with seeing the ox. It's important to see the ox, but then we have to start tending the ox and herding the ox. So once you've seen the ox in this second type of practice here, Hakuin is saying, make ox herding your only concern. And here's his description of how to do it. Light up the world with radiant light. When you see something, shine through it. When you hear something, shine through it. Shine through the five aggregates of body and mind. Shine through the six sense objects, color and sound and smell and taste. Shine through all things, internal and external. Shine through insights, shine through pleasures, shine through pains, shine through greed, hate, and delusion, shine through pure mind, shine through gain and loss and right and wrong. Shine through every experience with your whole body. It's kind of poetic Zen way of talking about um, we're not just um, being the host now. We're uh, letting this uh, radiant light of awareness shine through every experience. We could even say we're letting the, the, um, the mirror, instead of just resting as the mirror, reflecting nothing, maybe even in the first case where Hakuin says the great perfect mirror is just black darkness. Now it's like, you could see the mirror is shining through every reflection on the mirror, which it does, a mirror does do that, doesn't it? If we're, if we're looking at um, a face on the mirror, we could say the mirror itself is shining through the image of the face, isn't it? The mirror is shining through the face. 
we actually, when we're looking at the face in this, um, in this uh, equality knowing practice here, it's like we're looking at the face in the mirror, but we're seeing the mirror shining through the face as the face, inseparable from the face. The face doesn't disappear. The mirror is not dark. The mirror is shining through every appearance, every experience. See how this is a little different? The first is really emphasizing that realm where it's just almost like an, being an empty mirror, really getting in touch with there's this boundless, uh, perfect mirror, um, unhindered by anything. It's not benefited or diminished by any experience, always the same, um, one perfect mirror. And the second type of practice is now um, letting this mirror shine through all the myriad experiences, um, realizing their equality. Their, all experiences are equally mirrored. They're equally shined through by the one mirror. Therefore, um, self and other are, is this dynamic relationship but um, they're both equally shined through by this mirror. Akuin says, practicing in this way, karma will naturally, gradually dissolve and your conduct will begin to conform to your understanding. Because we're, this is an interaction with the world now. In the first perfect mirror wisdom, it's kind of implying there's no interaction. There's just one host. Now it's kind of like the host is really like serving the guests and mingling with the guests. And uh, this is the realm of conduct, not just understanding. In fact, Hakuin says here, host and guest will merge completely. The images on the mirror and the mirror are merged completely. That is understood in this, in this equality knowing. Body and mind are non-dual. Reality and appearance are non-dual, Hakuin says. So we could, um, Another way we could say this is the first um, realization of the perfect mirror knowing is the realization that I am nothing. First, I thought I was this body and mind, right? That's the, that's the, um, kind of our, the illusion. I am something called the body and mind. But when realizing the perfect mirror wisdom, we see that I am nothing at all. Vast, empty, um, black, dark mirror. And in this next type of wisdom, the equality knowing, uh, we could say that there's a shift from I am nothing to I am everything. 
this mirror wisdom is equally shining through everything. This mirror wisdom, empty mirror wisdom that I am is now shining through every experience, non-dual with every experience. So every experience is my true self. I am everything. Almost like the opposite in a, in a certain kind of sense from, um, from the perfect mirror wisdom. But really we could say just another dimension of it. Um, in Huffington's five ranks essay on, on this um, equality knowing, the second type of knowing here, he says, um, you know, again, he's this rings I founder, right? But he gets really into Soto Zen in, the, in his description of this revelation of the seven consciousness as being the equality wisdom. He says, this is the jewel mirror samadhi, which is our Soto ancestor, Dungshan, is teaching. Um, it is the unobstructed interfusion of principle and phenomena. Principle is like the host and phenomena is like the guest. This is the unobstructed interfusion of them. This um, perfect equality awareness. Hakuin goes on to say, all phenomena or experiences, appearances, old and young, high and low, grass, trees, mountains, rivers, are all the true face of your original self. Like seeing oneself in a bright mirror. So interestingly, the first um, wisdom is the perfect mirror wisdom, but this one is the equality wisdom, but all this mirror imagery is coming up for Hakuin in the second type of knowing. And I think it's, it's, it's more about the relationship of the mirror and the images. Things, phenomena, everything, things that we see will be the mirror for yourself and you will be the mirror for all things, Akkoinsis. And this particular practice, um, the, uh, this equality knowing, uh, for Hakka when he says, this is like the central practice. Practice this for years and years and years and years. Not that we're not practicing the other ones, but, and in contemporary Rinzai Zen, they really emphasize in particular this wisdom of, of the, this type of non-dual knowing, the one that's really working with the world. It's integrating all experiences as our own, mirror wisdom as this um, one undivided awareness, you know, dynamic and interactive non-dual way. So Hakuin says, uh, and Hakuin starts quoting Dogen. Which I think I, I've you know, studied a lot of Hakuin and I think he rarely quotes Dogen, but he, Dogen all comes forth in this Jewel mirror, samadhi, um, equality, 
emailing uh, description. Harkon quotes Dogen saying, to carry the self forward and verify the myriad things is delusion. That myriad things come forth and verify yourself is awakening. I like that translation, Genjo Kawan. I think that's more accurate than maybe our usual translation, strictly speaking. Uh, Hakuin says, this is body and mind dropped off, Dogen quote. This is mind and objects are not two. This is the dual mirror samadhi. This is seeing Buddha nature with one's own eyes. This is quoting the Lotus Sutra, the one vehicle, Hakuin says, and this is the, the true character of all things, is another Lotus Sutra quote. So a lot could be said about this um, equality, non-dual awareness, where I am everything, but we must go on. Next is the sixth consciousness, the conceptual consciousness uh, is revealed to be discriminating non-dual awareness. It's the third type of non-dual awareness, knowing. And uh, also called like the subtle observing, discerning non-dual knowing. So Hakuin's description here is um, this is where compassion really comes forth. We might say that the first two knowings are, um, are really clarifying our understanding. The understanding of the one inseparable host and the understanding of the interaction of guest and host in non-dual dynamic manner. And then the second two are more like how, it, how these, this understanding is functioning in the world, according to Hakuin anyway. He says um, this discriminating knowing is, uh, is when compassion is really um, it manifest and the and bodhisattva vows are, um, start to really um, get powered up <laughs> and uh, skillful means to benefit sentient beings starts to develop in more and more um, awesome ways. And uh, so there's this compassionate thing. Then also Hakuin throws in here a little bit to my surprise because Hakuin was really like a no nonsense, hardcore Zen practitioner you know, tied himself in a chair at night so he would, wouldn't lie down and he could sit zazen all night and he would, you know, go walk on pilgrimage across Japan and, and places where the beautiful mountains um, were like the scenic areas. He's like, well, I said afterwards, how was it walking through that really scenic area? And he's like, I had my, you know, my bamboo hat, pilgrimage hat on. I, I never looked up. Under my hat, I didn't see them at all. 
forces focused on my koan. Who is the host of all seeing and hearing? But I didn't see anything except the inside of my hat. So anyway, he was kind of a real like um, Zen guy, kind of like, um, I would say kind of like outside the scriptures. He wasn't so much a, um, a sutra guy. Although we do hear that he had this great awakening while reading the Lotus Sutra later in his life. But um, in this description of the discriminating non-dual awareness, in addition to compassion, bodhisattva vows, and skillful means to help all beings, <laughs> Hakuin says, in this mode of practice, you should study the teachings of the Buddhas and ancestors day and night. Study all these teachings. Maybe that's, he was practicing this way when he was started to get into the eight consciousnesses and the four wisdoms and the three bodies and all of this. Study the five houses of Zen, like Soto and Rinzai and others. Study the Indian Buddhist schools with all their distinctions of intricate philosophy. And if you have more time and energy, he says, then it's good to study non-Buddhist philosophy too. So it's kind of um, Hakuin's plug for like intense Dharma study day and night of all these, and he's talking about these words and letters and concepts, right? Because this is the discriminating non-dual awareness. It's making all these distinctions and subtle um, discernment of the difference between consciousness and awareness, for example, right? So nitpicky, but how can we say, we're doing this not for ourselves, but to benefit all beings. So this is where we, this, this mode of knowing is the, is the mode in which we develop the, the eye to read sutras, Hakuin says, like the eyeball to read sutras. And we should read them over and over. Don't just like get it once and feel like we understood it. Over and over. What were those eight consciousnesses again? And how does that revelation as the four wisdoms work? And how does that connect to the three bodies? We might have to do it more than once, right? And uh, in his other essay on, on this mode of knowing, Hakuin says, this is the mode where we create a Buddha land on earth with the four bodhisattva vows. And this is, the this is when we're freely functioning um, actively for all sentient beings. Okay, one more. The, all, the five sense consciousnesses are an illusion that are revealed to be the all-accomplishing knowing, all-accomplishing non-dual awareness, uh, manifesting the Nirmanakaya, the transformation body like Shakyamuni and Buddha as a person who could walk around and talk with people in this world. Hakuin says, this 
it sounds a lot like the previous mode of knowing, but um, maybe it's going even more deeply into the messiness of the world. Hakuin says, this is freely acting to benefit self and others, effortlessly doing whatever is needed and just responding to everyone um, without hesitation or contrivance. And uh, in his other essay, Hakuin says, it's like a lotus in fire. You may have heard that image. It's like being a lotus flower in the midst of flames. It is pure, um, uh, you know, unhindered, beautiful flower in the midst of the flames of the world without burning up. I think that's from the Vimalakirti Sutra. You're like a lotus in fire buried in the world's defilement, entering the marketplace with gift-bestowing hands, never resting for a moment, wallowing in the, in the mud, getting totally messy because anything that will just help anyone in any way. And we'd get really bogged down and burnt out by that kind of activity if we didn't have the first types of knowing that all of this is just is just um, it's just appearances that are being shined through by this um, perfect mirror. Thank you for uh, indulging me. I, this is something I've wanted to talk about for for years because uh, I rarely hear it in Zen halls in of the Soto school. So, uh, homage to Hakuin Zenji, the Rinzai founder, and his love for our Soto tradition. And homage to great Bodhisattva, Asanga, who was the first to teach these uh, uh, eight consciousnesses being revealed as the uh, four non-dual awarenesses. Amish Shakyamuni Buddha, the source of the Buddha Dharma in our world system. And uh, we probably don't really have time for questions at this point, right? So if people want, maybe we can do a closing uh, chant and if, if anyone wants to hang around afterwards and um, clarify this matter further, I would be delighted to, if you'd like. Thank you. We'll do dedicate that. the merit of our gathering today to the, to the revelation of the four modes of non-dual knowing that all beings throughout space and time realize them here and now. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by Jokoji Zen Center. Our Dharma talks are offered free of charge, and this is made possible by the donations we receive. Your support helps us to continue to offer the Dharma. For more information about Jokoji, please visit us on the web at jokoji.org.